Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Welcome to the Tour Operator Startup Series on the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Nikki Padilla Rivera follows a tour operator startup on their journey from idea to execution to we don't know where. We hope it's to success. But you're going to have to listen in each month to find out. And now, welcome your host, Nikki Padilla Rivera. Hello, tourpreneurs. Welcome to the second episode of the Tour Operator Startup. In this series, we follow Ripley and Sita, brand new to the tourism industry, as they start up their business, She Shapes History, done in Canberra, Australia. Through this series, if you're thinking about starting a tour business, you can see firsthand what works, what doesn't, and what they didn't even know they didn't know. Or if you're an experienced tour printer and simply listening to support someone just starting out, I hope you'll head to the Facebook page where each month when the episode drops, we'll post a specific challenge Ripley and Sita are working on at the moment where you can give them some advice. In this month's edition, we learn how their very first test tour went. Spoiler, not quite as they envisioned. What else is on their to-do list before their hopeful launch at the end of the month, their warm welcome into the industry, and generally how tourism is just really hard sometimes. Any show notes you can find on tourpreneur.com. And this month, if you go to the Facebook group, they're looking to get your advice on how you wrap up your tour with an amazing ending. So if you have any thoughts on that, I know they'll appreciate your comments on that Facebook page. And with that, enjoy the episode. Ripley, Sita, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you for bringing us back. It's <laughs> nice to return and talk about, you know, the highs and lows of starting a business. And we should call this episode Tourism is Hard. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. I think that's a wonderful title for this episode if we did titles. Tourism is hard. And I feel like I want to jump right into the test tours because that is what I've been thinking of since the last episode that we recorded. You did do one test tour, correct? Yeah. And then COVID interrupted us a bit, which we can talk about, but yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So you did got one test tour in and I feel like we should just play it first, just to get it out there. These are actually your thoughts directly after your test tour. And you can hear the amount of effort you had put into it in your voices, I feel. So just finished our first test tour and we are exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> Cedar is speechless. A rarity. Um, it was a lot. It went, it was much rougher than I think either of us expected. We both realized that we were going into this extremely overly confident about our skills. <laughs> It went an hour too long. 
Um, we also brought very different vibes to the delivery. Like I went for kind of your high school history teacher, whereas Ripley went for more like motivational history. <laughs> motivational history. I, I don't know. I think what I took away from today is that in your head, when you're designing a tour, things work a lot smoothly than in practice because, yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot. Like, tourism is hard. Okay, so we also wanted to talk about things that went well because we're optimists and trying to be positive in this moment of exhaustion. (laughs) Well, the thing that I really thought went well was – when Ripley and I like did vibe and did kind of deliver content together well, it was really good and made me glad that I was doing this with someone else. Um, there were a lot of moments where that did not happen, but the moments where it did, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it, gave me, it gave me a lot of hope for the future. Which we need. Um, and I really liked how you could tell people were expanding their worldview. Like you could see them thinking and engaging with the content when the content went well and we got the dates right. And you could see them being excited and you could see that they could sense our passion. And that was really, really nice. And a bit of a relief when we were bungling other things. So I'm really excited to kind of make it better. Um, I think we got great feedback today and I'm so glad, so glad that we did test tours. Yes. I feel like we're going to iron out many kinks. We need like a giant iron to just iron the entire tour out flat. (laughs) But still make it interesting. Oh my goodness. But yeah, the, how generous people were with their feedback. That was definitely a highlight as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that everyone kind of just wanted us to be better in a, exciting, non-patronizing way. So, an hour over time, high school teacher versus motivational speaking styles. I think it's safe to say that it did not go quite as it was in your head. Is that accurate? Yeah. We were super nervous as well, and I I don't think we expected to be, to Mm -hmm. be honest, because we'd practiced it so many times just together. Did you do it out loud to each other? Yeah, yeah, like multiple times. But like looking back, we didn't actually kind of practice delivering the content together. So we would just deliver at each stop to one another. And we've reflected on this a lot. I don't think either of us really kind of recognized how specific of a genre walking tours are in terms of delivering information. And we thought because we both had a lot of kind of public speaking experience that we'd be able to slip into it and it'd be fine. But I think that we just really underestimated the style of delivery that it kind of necessitates. So I know that I kind of went into educator mode. You know, as we were doing it, you could just see the confusion on people's faces. (laughs) So that's when I realised personally that we do need to understand this genre better, which, you know, makes sense because we've never done it before. But yeah. You're also, just to put it in perspective, you're playing multiple roles at this point, which most tourpreneurs do, to be fair. But the skill set to create a tour is often very different from the skill set it takes to deliver the tour. And I think it's very hard to understand how incredible tour guides are and how difficult their job is until you really do put yourselves into their shoes. But I think the trick is what's really hard about it is keeping that narrative, that overarching narrative over the entire tour, right? Over several Mm -hmm. hours. Yeah, that's actually one of the big things that we kind of had as a takeaway that we didn't have 
a grand narrative kind of running through it. And we thought that we did, but we realized that we didn't really kind of set it up as well as we should have in the first off. So the last kind of couple of weeks have just been a lot of doing big reworks. Um, not so much on the stories that we're sharing, but just how we kind of deliver them and where we position them within the rest of the tour. I think it's also such a struggle for us because people weren't recognising any of the names or any of the stories. So we had to go a lot more basic, but we were super ambitious mm -hmm. and we're giving, we kind of like dive straight in. So I think that's a, that is a kind of challenge of dealing with histories that have been invisible for a long time. But, or even just like basic historical context that I think that we both thought that people would know that people didn't or like one person in our test tour kind of knew it, but then everyone else didn't. And you didn't want to kind of make everyone feel bad because, you know, they didn't know what was happening in Australia in the 1970s when they weren't alive then. So, <laughs> yeah, it's just, I think that we had a lot of learning moments from it. So I'm so glad that we did. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's great. I think it is really challenging to understand where your audience is at so often, especially as you haven't launched yet. Overall, it's funny how the tour in our head is really perfect. Always. This is at least in my experience. Like it's so perfect. It flows so well. It's going to like blow people's minds, but we don't often do it with the customer as our audience, like we're the audience in our heads, if that makes sense. So then all of a sudden you yeah. add the customer in and it all falls apart and you're like, oh no, there's so much that I missed. You did mention that feedback was really, really great, but I actually want to step back first and just kind of get a sense of who came on your test tour and how did you get them there? Yeah. So for this test tour, because it was our very first one, we wanted it to be quite a safe space. So it ended up kind of primarily being friends and family. And it was a much younger demographic than I think what our kind of ideal customer is. Like it was my two younger sisters and a few of their friends. So people in like their, you know, like early 20s. And yeah, and then it was a family friend who was in her late 50s, who <laughs> was very helpful and probably like the most helpful in terms of giving feedback. But I think kind of seeing how young people were responding to it was really helpful. And then how like the older, I like referring to her as the older one. But it was good. I think the, the best part of it was people were really honest with us and, and I didn't expect that because there were people who knew us and liked us. So I thought they would. Be oh, I was expecting honesty. I feel like everyone in my life is always looking for chances to be honest with me. Super brutal. But yeah, like one of the young women said, um, it was a great tour, but there was a lot of content, but not much information. And no, what did she say? A lot of talking, but not much but content, but no much content. I don't know. It was, Ooh, ouch. So yeah, there are a few things, but you know, I think one, one of the things I really like about Cedar is that she's really, really good at taking feedback. And I think you always see it as a, a growing thing. Like you don't get too down about it. I love feedback. I'm always happy to have feedback. I think it's the only way that you kind of grow. I think I would have been more disappointed if everyone had come on that tour and been like, this is fantastic because it was our first draft. Yeah. Like, you know, no one's first draft is going to be great. So I'm really glad that we got all the feedback that we did and that people were very honest with us about what was working and what wasn't and admittedly there were probably a lot more things that weren't working than that were <laughs> it just made me realize a lot of things that we're great at and then the things that kind of we're good at but need to 
you know, become really good at like in Greyhound. Well, I'm curious when we're talking about this feedback that you gathered, both of you coming from research backgrounds, what was on that form? Did you do the formal questionnaire in the end? No, we actually took your idea and we ended up having it over a coffee, which was super helpful. Um, I don't yeah. think that a form would have worked well for the crowd. So it was good to just ah, give every 30 minutes to kind of sit and actually talk it through. And people definitely bounced off each other yeah, um, and yeah. went like, oh, I felt that way as well. Or, you know, I saw that but didn't think about it. And then a bunch of people would be like, we love the War Bride stop. Like the War Bride stop was the best. And then and then it, we could start to see consensus around certain things as opposed to it being like one person just giving their opinion. So, yeah, that was a really good way to do it. It's really interesting to see what people remember or what their favorite thing is, isn't it? Like that's actually, I always advise guides to do that on a normal tour because I think it's fascinating to at the end, just like very casually be like, so, you know, if you could only remember one piece, like what's going to be the piece that you remember? Because so often it is not, you know, this amazing point in the tour that you've curated. So especially it's supposed to be this life-changing moment. And often it's something that that happened accidentally or that wasn't planned or just in there, but you didn't give much thought of. And it's so interesting to see because then you can actually build those out, you know, and make these other moments that are really special that you wouldn't have thought of before until someone actually on the tour, as I said, a customer comes on and points out to you what they want. It's actually super helpful. Yeah, no, I think that that was a really interesting moment. The story that people love the most was the War Brides. And that's a story that is quite like connected to Ripley's own personal history. Not that you're a War Bride. <laughs> you definitely made it sound like I was a War Bride. Thing that people love the personal connection and hearing kind of like that way in. And it was the only stop where we really like prefaced it by saying, this is where we're located within Australian history. And kind of- yeah, yeah. The rest of it was a lot more factual and a lot more removed from our personal story. And and interestingly, the National Archives said to us that personal stories resonate, like you need to have more of that in your tours. So something of note. That is definitely sound advice. And even you'd be surprised what you can add personal stories to. For example, you personally not being a ward bride, but then obviously able to make a connection to it regardless, right? Like I think people feel that personal stories on tours means you have to tell I don't know, something very specific about yourself, very personal about your life or your views, your political views, whereas it doesn't necessarily have to be, it doesn't even have to be your actual story. I tell the story a lot, but I used to give a tour back when I was a guide that went through Little Italy in New York City, which is a very historic, famous neighborhood. And my grandmother was born there on one side. So we would pass her house. So I'd point at her house and talk about what it was like for her to live there and, you know, the height of that historic significance. And I share that story with other guides on my team and they would then share her story. Like it wasn't their personal story, but they were able to say, oh, my friend Nikki, her grandmother lived in this building and you get the same effect. It's still a personal story, even though it's actually something that you source. So sometimes just the language of how you came about that history, or especially because I think both of you have created such connections to a lot of these spaces with the staff or, or the people in charge. Mm, no, that's a very, very good point. And yeah, it's too narrow if we just had to share our own histories <laughs> that we'd just run out of things to say. So yeah, that's a very good point. I'm curious what feedback surprised you the most. A personal takeaway for me was that the stories didn't work well together, that there wasn't a cohesiveness there. 
And I thought it was very obvious, but then on a lot of reflection, I realised we need to be a lot more upfront and direct and essentially say, like, women's history is important because because we didn't really do that. We just kind of assumed people felt like that. So our first tour for a bit of context is called She Shapes Nation. And one of the pieces of feedback we got was that we didn't actually say how any of these women shaped the nation. <laughs> That was such a good point. <laughs> and we, I think it's like in our minds, it was so clear. But then we looked back on it and we're like, oh, yeah, it really is not um, because we're doing kind of a counter history that it's not always obvious how kind of these women shaped history in the same way that it is, you know, like someone discovering Australia when it's an obvious link. So I think that having to kind of go through, which is what we've been doing for the past two weeks, and really think about why we're sharing these women's stories and what they kind of bring and what they brought kind of back then as historical figures, but also what they bring to us today and realising they're like very different things has been quite an interesting process. But I think that that was definitely the most confronting piece of feedback. Didn't tell us how these women shaped a nation. (laughs) There's a book that I'm going to recommend that's a really intense book, but it's called Interpretation, Making a Difference on Purpose by Sam H. Ham. And it's kind of, for me, like the tome of tour guiding. He calls it interpretation. It's like next level. It's very academic, but it gives a lot of really good advice on different ways to discover the theme that we're talking about now, different ways to communicate the theme, how themes can't be too complex, how you need to simplify, how to connect stories back to it. It's It really is a, a talent, I think, to be able to do that. And it takes a lot of thought. So it's great that you're doing all this thinking now. But that's, for me, what makes the difference between an okay tour and a phenomenal tour. Like phenomenal tours are so smooth and they're smooth because the tour is beautifully written, right? In the sense that it has this beautiful flow. It has an overarching story, but it's not too much. Like it's not too heavy on the theme, right? You can go the other direction where you spend the first 20 minutes explaining what you're going to talk about. And that's not a great beginning to a tour either, right? So it's finding that balance, but it's it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. Yeah, it is a craft. And I, I think what we're okay with is it's going to take us some time to have that become our craft. So, and that's a great thing that we got out of the test tour. I'm curious if any of your industry partners were able to come on the test tour. We purposefully didn't invite them to the first one. Ah, And thank God we made that decision. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, we want to have long-term relationships with these um, institutions and I think that if that had been their first exposure to us in action, yikes. <laughs> and um, the other thing that happened was there was a co- there's been a COVID outbreak in Sydney. So masks became mandatory here and there was a lot of fear. I mean, there still is, but it's, it's slightly better for Canberra currently. But two weeks ago, there was a lot of fear about the Delta strain in Canberra. So we kind of were like, uh, let's just delay those test tours for a bit. And we, we we needed more time as well. So it was kind of, it worked out. It does. So yeah. It gives you more time. It gives you plenty more time to yeah. work on things. That's great. That's funny. That's very, very smart. While you're waiting to even do test tours again, another thing that I, I used to do as a guide all the time, but now also do when I'm working with companies, sometimes you just need a level below test tour. Because as you said, like saying the tour out loud to each other, 
doesn't necessarily work if both of you are working on the tour and you're probably conversing or stopping during. I, God bless my mother. She is my test dummy for all tours. I literally sit her down and I say it out loud to her verbally and I time myself. Because when you're giving it to a fresh audience who doesn't know the material, I think that you you deliver it differently, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. than you do to someone who understands it. But I don't know if, if you're in any sort of lockdown, that could at least give you, if you have a willing test dummy. <laughs> and I also think that takes the stress off a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that is a really good idea. I have a few people in mind who we could mm-hmm. enlist. <laughs> It's some people love, my mother actually loves it. Like I I would, I think it's a lot, but she's, she really, really loves it. Cause for her, she gets to like experience all these tours. Um, and she loves hearing about the different facts. So anyone listening out there, go for your, like your great aunts or your grandparents, or they're usually very happy to listen to your little tours. (laughs) Okay. So one other thing that I definitely wanted to ask about that I noted from last time is there was a lot of physical stuff in the works. And maybe you didn't pull this out for the test tour, but there were like tote bags and there were cards, I believe. Right. And how did all that go? The logistics of stuff. Some of it worked brilliantly and some of it terribly, but isn't that the way? (laughs) Yeah. We didn't end up getting the cards themselves printed for the test tours just because it was going to be so much, but we did have our like tote bags which we got great feedback on. People really loved getting the tote bags and seeing everyone wearing them as well was quite yeah, nice. Yeah, that was nice. But we stayed up all <laughs> night. Like we stayed up so late making these bloody paddles. Do you want to give context? Yeah, okay. So, we, we, so that sounded so Australian. So we thought we wanted to make the tour more interactive and our brilliant idea which we thought at the time was we would get ping pong paddles and put a tick on one side and put a cross on the other side and then it would be democratic people would be able to like vote on things and because we're talking a lot about voting and democracy and so it like kind of worked with the theme so people would then you know we'd ask them a question like do you think you should know politicians private lives or something at the end of each stop and then they would vote but the problem was everyone had the the paddle in the tote bag and so they had to get it in and out every stop and it just was really fiddly and mm. cumbersome and people didn't enjoy it and but it was interesting because yeah. like that was one of the things that we got good feedback on people did like the paddles and kind of having that um being able to participate in that way but then logistically it just didn't work like mm. it was such a nightmare so yeah, that's been, and it just made us go, like, I don't think that we can incorporate this into this style of tour, but it'd be great for, like, workshops with kids and doing it that way. So that's, I think, one of the things that we've realised a lot about ideas and very, like, interactive ideas that we thought about for this tour that they just won't work it within this specific context because people kind of aren't coming on our tour for, like, a two-hour, you know, interactive workshop. Like, it's a walking tour, you know. Mm. but like those ideas we do kind of plan on using in the future. Well, like I think the, the spirit of interaction is a, a good thing to make sure you're incorporating, but maybe without props, right? Is like how you're adapting it to a walking tour. Yeah. And and then, you know, you've got added costs. And then with COVID, we were like, how do we sanitize? And so I think what we've realized is on the stuff side of things, there are a lot more logistics at work than it just being a great idea. I'm just curious, how would you make a tour more interactive? Like, what are things that you incorporate Mm. on stops? I love that question. I think about this a lot. I think 
interaction, it's really interesting hearing you both talk about this because I think you, you're coming in from like an 11, which is amazing because it's so hard to get people up to that level. I'm usually dealing with people at a one, you know, and trying to get them to ask questions or, but I think things that are really, really simple are connecting them with the environment in some way. So it's much easier to give examples in places where they're speaking a different language, perhaps, right, than the locals, but teaching someone a local slang, not even a greeting, but like a slang, like that's such an easy way. And actually in Australia, that would work well. I don't know even if there's like a, a dialect or slang words for Canberra, you know, but having people being able to interact with, let's say you visit a shop or you you enter a building for them to be able to use that local slang to greet the guard as they walk in like that, it empowers them to interact, which is really, really small and it doesn't take up any time. It's not like a thing, but you've just empowered them with that. Using people as examples is like, I think, a classic education trick. If you're telling a story, you're doing something as simple as pointing to someone in your group and say, okay, so let's pretend you're, I don't know, King George. And this is so-and-so. And so and so as you're telling the story, they're not doing anything physically, but you're just referencing so that they they feel involved in that way. Just little things like that where it makes them feel that they have to pay attention in a way, if that makes sense, because you're, you're pointing to them, you're asking questions. I mean, questions are wonderful. Questions are a really, really great way to engage. There's an amazing podcast by um, Claire Bone called The Thinking Museum, I believe. That's her company. I believe the podcast is the same name. And she is um, from the museum world and she's literally like the queen of questions. Like she spends all of her time thinking about how to ask questions to an audience and how to best facilitate and what language you should use to get a better answer. Like, so she has really cool stuff about that as well. But I think, I think simple, right, is are things that I think of all the time. I think we've got a super complicated, like elaborate, creative, labor intensive. (laughs) No, but I think you're going to have such an easier time starting there and trimming. Hopefully. (laughs) I also think we already speak in slang full time in Australia. (laughs) Yes, I can identify that. It's it's amazing to travel to a place where they speak the same language and yet they don't somehow. (laughs) So... At this moment in time, this is early July when we're recording this, do you have a launch date? I know that's still kind of with COVID maybe up in the air. We are hopeful. Yeah, so we're hopeful for the 24th of July um, to start kind of like running tours, which might be a bit ambitious, but I think that we kind of need a deadline to get us going. Otherwise, we're just going to keep thinking and refining so we just want to kind of get it out there like today after this we're going to be working on like our media release and you know really trying to let people know that this is happening we have three bookings do we all right we're gonna get back to that okay let's back up because I think what I'm really trying to get at here is okay so you have 11 days so presumably you're gonna (laughs) is that correct right July 24th Okay, let's say around that time, right? You have around <laughs> that time, you're going to run test tours, presumably before them. Yeah. Um, yeah what yeah. other stuff is left? That's my real question. Like any legal stuff, insurance, legal entities, like is that set up? You have your booking software. Like, is there any other stuff that has to get done in your to-do list before you actually are live? Although you're taking bookings already. Yeah, well, so we were originally... The booking thing has been a fun. The booking journey. 
Um, so, because we were originally going with WooCommerce, which is kind of integrated into WordPress, except after I had to go through and kind of reschedule and email all of the test tour people, which was a nightmare because there were so many of them, I realized that I could not do this every day for the rest of my life. So we started looking at booking software. So dramatic, but true. So we, <laughs> we were kind of astounded that Fair Harbor didn't charge us a monthly fee. So we ended up going with Fair Harbor and the service was super good. The service has been amazing. Like it's been really, yeah. really good. They've been so responsive. They've been very helpful. Yeah, it's really easy to use as well, which I was surprised by. And I now understand yeah. why people use booking software. And we looked at ResD as well, but it was too pricey for us. So, at yeah. this time. Yeah. I'm trying to think of anything else that that's like the must-haves. Do you, you know, if, if people are booking on your site, you have a cancellation policy. And I'm asking just because of the times that we're in, that's kind of the real hot button topic, right? Yeah, and the tourism school that we did online, they talked a lot about having a strong cancellation policy and being upfront about that. And you you get a lot more bookings if you're COVID-friendly business. So we've really tried to prioritize that. Like we wrote an, an entire COVID safety plan on our website. Like we have gone so hard <laughs> on that to make sure people know like you will get a refund or you could rebook or you could get a gift card. Like yeah. So we're pretty flexible with that. Yeah. Like we really don't want people coming on the tour if they're sick or anything. So yeah. Kind of, yeah, I think that our cancellation policy at this point um is probably to be more flexible and understanding, but we'll see mm. if we get abused. <laughs> I think it's easier too when it's the two of you giving tours and when you don't have on tour costs. Is that correct? Like you're not doing tastings or anything like that. It's things that you're ordering ahead of time. I think where it gets really tricky is when you've paid money personally for the tour to your tour guide or you've paid ahead for the food offerings or they're set for a certain amount of people. That's when you get into, you know, people don't understand why operators have cancellation policies, why they can't just give the money back. And that's often because they've already spent money. Tour guides do not get paid often or not always if the tour is canceled like two days before and they can't find work, right? So I, I understand from a customer point of view why they wouldn't understand that, but that's what makes it complicated, right? And not as easy as, oh, just no problem, we'll refund you anytime. Although, and again, this is to your benefit, you do have a domestic audience. So you probably do have the benefit of people will probably more likely to just push their date to another tour and come back. It's not like they're only in Australia for a set amount of time and won't come back for a while. That's what the tourism school said, that if if you deal with it in a, a really great way, then people will probably rebook. And so we, yeah. And I feel like Australia's a talkers as well, and that we just like tend to tell mm. each other if someone or complain loudly. or complain. Yeah. Australia's a complainers. I think that that's a good way of putting it. And we complain to each other, and we complain for decades. Wow. So, <laughs> I'm still complaining about something. Are we complaining about complaining though? I kind of want to ask you this, but I I don't say this to stress you out. Okay, this is just kind of like a fun little thought process. People often prepare for failure, right? If this goes wrong, if we don't get enough bookings, how will we do it? Are you prepared for success? Specifically, like let's say one of your TikTok videos or you know one of the wheat paste advertising just goes viral and you have 200 bookings for August. 
what happens? Like, can you run those tours between the two of you? Can you handle the emails, especially maybe now that you're through Fair Harbor, you can like, who's the one answering, you know, giving directions to the meeting point for lost guests? Like, is there anything that would need to happen between now and then to serve that many guests? That's actually such a good question, especially if we put, I mean, who knows what will happen, but if we put this media release into the world and we start getting even a lot of bookings, like, yeah, there there are only two of us and we don't have anyone else. So yeah, like, what do we do? Yeah. Like one of the things that we have been talking a bit about is what happens if one of us is sick, because our tours mm. kind of run with two guides and because we do a lot of things where we like bounce off each other and it's just quite a fun experience. And yeah, but like if someone's sick, how is that going to work? Like, do we have someone to sub in? At this point, we don't. And then that comes into like paying someone else yeah, as well. Yeah, and we don't have the money to pay someone. So yeah, we have a lot to think about around that. Yeah. Well, even um, just the simple thought of, you know, I mean, I don't mean to get really into it, but if you think about, you know, how much money you need to survive, right, or to make this your full-time job, how many tours would you need to be running a week, right? Like that's actual mathematical equation that you can calculate. And then I know, let's say that number is like six. Can the two of you run tours six days a week, but also run the business? Yeah, and that is something we sat down and we did the maths on. And what, what did we work out? Well, it? yeah, so our current kind of tour costing was cost it kind of us both being able to work on She Shapes History 24 hours a week. And that was to cover both like running the tour itself as well as working on the business side of things. So, but if it's really successful and kind of all of our tours are regularly booked out, I think we would reevaluate and go kind of, do we want to make this a full-time thing? Um, are we happy with where we are? Because in the future, we would love to move into like the school workshop space and working with children. But yeah, like, but if we're running tours kind of six days a week, we just wouldn't have the time to do that and do a lot of the forward thinking. And I think that because we both have lots of ideas because we think women's history is the coolest thing ever <laughs> and everyone should know about it. And we met with um, Zakia from Invisible Cities, actually, and she had such good advice for us, like just saying, you know, pace yourselves and don't burn yourselves out. And, and so yeah. that was really helpful as well. Even just like she said, set aside time kind of every week to actually think through where your business is going. Yeah, that was really um, And to like think about the future as opposed to, because otherwise you just get like stuck in it and you're always doing kind of operational stuff as opposed to the kind of big strategic thinking. And because I even realize I know like we did a lot of that stuff at the beginning where we had kind of really big visions about where this could go and how we could make this you know a really sustainable business and then now we're just kind of so caught up in the operation side of things that that gets a bit lost yeah yeah and Zaki was kind of saying you can find yourself somewhere six months down the track and kind of go how did I get here so yeah, yeah. but talking to Zaki just also like made us it was really validating and that I think for both of us, it made us go like, oh, yeah, this could be a full-time thing and we could do this long-term. Mm. And hearing her talk about, you know, like partnerships and sales with a really long-term lens, because I know for me, like, I have not been thinking about sales with, like, the long-term in mind. I've been thinking about kind of getting uh, by. Yeah, yeah, like, if these people don't book this month, it means that they hate women. I will scratch you <laughs> off my list. Look, I'm not that hard line, but I'm close. <laughs> But talking to Zakia made me realise that's not the case. <laughs> Sometimes 
It'll just take two years to get their ass together. Thank you, Zekia, if you're listening to this. It was very helpful advice. That's amazing advice. And, you know, I think that is something that, as you said, you get caught up in the excitement and the idea itself that you're not actually thinking, like, what do I want to be doing? I mean, this maybe sounds basic, but what do I want to be doing in five years? Like, what does my life look like? What is my work-life balance? How many hours do I want to be working? How much money do I need to achieve that? These are all things that I think we often forget about or we set up at the very beginning and then that immediately gets lost once you start the doing part. Business plans are great until you like don't look at it on a regular basis, right? Some people I think write the business plan and file it away and there it is. I love that. I think it's very interesting that you're envisioning long-term that tours would be only a part of your business, because as we talked about in episode one, which if you haven't heard, you can go back and listen to on the Tour Printer podcast. We talked about how you have a much greater mission through these tours. You, the point was not to create fun walking tours for tourists. The point was how can you help the plight of women, right? At the very base in Australia and bring awareness to to the importance of women and, and the importance in how they've shaped Australia. And of course, there's so many ways you could do that, I would imagine, besides just walking tours. Yeah. And I mean, who knows how it will evolve? And that's kind of exciting as well. I love that. I'm very happy that you talked to um, Zakia and, you know, tour printers, especially within this community, but tour printers tend to be very generous with their advice and, and even, you know, their numbers, their sales, like all that. And I think there's, there's very few other places where you could get that insider knowledge of other businesses, of your competitors, quote unquote, right? Because we all are in it together and it's such unique work and it's it's great to get inspiration from other industries, but I think it really does take into people who are doing exactly what you're doing to sometimes see what you're not seeing. There are a lot of tour operators who have never spoken to another tour operator. Yeah, that's just insane to me because we found kind of so much inspiration and kind of generosity from the space like I constantly say to people that I've been amazed um at how just like kind the tourism space has been to us at least I know that that's probably not everyone's experience and how collaborative it feels as well yeah and just that generosity and sharing wisdom and it's it doesn't have that horrible competitive businessy feel where it's like oh yeah yeah it's just that thing of I want to share what I know and to help you and, yeah, and also kind of like not treating you like you're at the bottom of the hierarchy, even if you're new, which mm. has been just really nice. And I think I've been surprised by that, how kind of, you know, people just really respect what we do bring, even though we're not good yet. <laughs> we're learning. We're learners. Yeah, that, yeah, that we're in that learning <laughs> stage. But, you know, people have been really, I don't know, I think I've just been surprised at how kind of non-hierarchical, collaborative and generous this space has been like, I would have never expected it. No, it's wonderful. It's so wonderful. Oh, I love hearing that. That is very true. I think that is something that's like very unique where everyone sort of really remembers where they were at the beginning and is very understanding of that. And well, honestly, now with the pandemic, we're all kind of back there at square one anyhow. So I think especially right now, everyone's going to really feel like they're, I don't know, we're all on one team, which is nice. What I hear from tour operators that are hesitant to talk to other tour operators is that there's there's this innate sense of fear that people will copy what they do, right? And you find this more amongst the people who are doing 
I don't say generic in a bad way, but who are doing a mainstream tour, a food tour in a popular neighborhood. There's such a fear of, oh, but my vendors or my route or my information. And if people find that out, then they're going to steal my information. Tour guides, in fact, in very many cities, it's sort of a taboo to like have a tour guide on your tour because they're going to steal all your information. And, and, And there is that underlying, but I think the people who get it understand that truly no one can give tours like you can. And truly no one has the passion that you do for a specific topic or theme. So if someone does come on your tour and honestly copies it or copies the website, copies the language, they're not going to give the tours that you're giving because simply they don't have the connection to it. They don't have the understanding, the background. And I think it's quite impossible actually to copy someone else's entire tour business and be successful at it. Oh, it's, that's what we tell ourselves. We were like, it was so much work for us to do this. No one would want to go through that. But even if they do, I would love to see more women's history that's tours true. in Australia. That like that point. would be my dream. Yeah, if Australia true. becomes like the hotspot for women's history tours, that would be fantastic. Like, you know, and I think that there are so many fun ways of presenting women's history as well. But if people kind of copy our idea, like, great, let's see it elsewhere. Yeah, That's not an invitation to copy our idea. Hit us up first. I wish that was the answer everyone gave when that came up, though. I wish people did what we did. I wish there were more of us. Because it's true. Then there would be that many more tours uplifting the voices of women. And that's obviously not a bad yeah. thing. Have you connected with any other people doing similar types of tours in other regions? Yeah, Nui Rides actually reached out to us as well after the first episode. So that was super exciting and gave us some water advice. So thanks so much for that. That's so cool that someone listened and reached out. I love that. Yeah, and like I grew up in Newcastle. So that was the loveliest thing that was, yeah. It's just so nice. I feel like we already have a sense of community, even though we've not met any of these people face to face. I love that. I'll probably announce this in the intro as well, but I would love to post one question um, starting with this episode, sort of one general query or things that you would love advice on based on what we talked about and post that very specific question on the Torpreneur Facebook page, because I think it'll give a very specific item each month when we talk about things and people can go there and maybe, because I think people have a lot of advice, but sometimes they don't know what you're looking for. Or they don't feel comfortable just coming out on their own and giving it. So maybe we can kind of give them the space to to get you even more tips and tricks. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. So before I let both of you go, I know in the last episode, we talked about how you were doing mental health check-ins and keeping aware of like how you're doing and how you're handling everything and where you're at. Can I ask where you're both at right now in this in this season of creating your tours? Yeah, I've been really stressed in honesty, like not not just about the chores. I've got some stuff going on personally too. And yeah, that's been hard, but like Seed has been amazing. And the other day when I had a really bad day, she took the lead on some stuff and it just made me feel so much better. So I think, yeah, it's really lovely when friendship is the backbone of a business and that helps get you through when you're stressed. Yeah. No, it's been interesting, I guess, kind of a, a flip side. I've actually been really happy, (laughs) but it's been like a lot of things. Like I've had this realization recently, this is the first time in my life where, you know, I'm not thinking about like the what's next and in terms of kind of what I'm doing now as a stepping stone for the future, I'm just enjoying what I'm doing because it's so great. And I have just been really like happy about where my life is and what we're doing with She Shapes History and, you know, like working with Ripley and the business. So 
you know, even though there are moments when I get a bit, oh my God, we have so much to do. Um, I think overall it's a really exciting time and I'm just so excited to, you know, have many more moments like this where it is, you know, slightly chaotic and there's a lot of plates in the air, but you love plates. I love plates and I'm enjoying it. Like I'm really, really just enjoying it. So I'm having a great time. I'm so excited to talk next month once again. I'm very excited. This is a monthly thing. And and for those of you listening, we're going to check in with them every month until they stop returning my calls. So next month, we will hopefully hear about the official opening, it being live. We'll hear about those three bookings, perhaps, that you already have. And, and I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much for joining us again. No, and thanks for everyone who's been reaching out to us. We love it. So keep coming with the advice. Thanks. Yeah, it really means a lot to us. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.